when a, a human being, me, you, uh, anybody, has a moment in time where your perspective shifts so suddenly that the world changes and can never go back. Uh, I got really interested in uh, how that can impact organizations. How do we get out of our own way so that we see something we've never seen? Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have two, two exciting guests lined up for you today. These gentlemen are committed to the transformation of the planet through helping transform business. They bring forward some incredible technology, which I've had the privilege of experiencing, that is absolutely transformational in its impact on human beings, on organizations, and on the way that life progresses on the planet. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, or rather the two, the two only, legendary, Kevin <laughs> Gangle and Vic Mirage. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thanks, Nikki. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Nikki. Yeah, you bet. So, gentlemen, you know, I've gotten to know you, and uh, I love you both, and I love what you're all about. And the reason I brought you on the show is because I want my listeners to get to know you. I want them to get to know what you're all about. My listener is an entrepreneur. My listener is someone who works in an organization that wants to have that organization succeed and move forward. We are champions here for freedom, free expression, and free enterprise. And we bring in great guests like you to inspire our listeners and to give them the tools, the strategies, as well as the resources to be able to do the same for their business. Before they can truly open their hearts to you, they need to get to know you. So tell us your stories. How'd you get to be the great individuals that you are? Kev, you want to go? I'm just yeah. I'm just busy kind of getting my cape out of my way. According to- <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so appreciate it, Nikki. We, uh, like, we really exist to cause uh, leadership uh, in the world. And we exist to do that by, you know, empowering organizations to to leverage, you know, what they've got to impact, you know, teams, their business, uh, industry, society, you know, regions. Um, so uh, my origin story, the short version is a small town Kansas boy uh, goes to Japan right after university, meets a Chinese Canadian girl in a pub and uh, ends up in Edmonton, Alberta. So uh, I'm a dual citizen of uh, the United States and uh, Canada. Very proud of both of those facts. Cool. And um you know, really, my journey has involved a, a couple of things. Um, I've always been uh, going after something big, um, you know, uh, either because I'm a, a martyr or something. But at a very young age, I wanted to build uh, spaceships, you know, and help the, the United States and Russia go to Mars together and maybe help solve the Cold War, you know, through space travel, because I grew up watching Star Trek. Cool. And uh, over time, uh, it turned out I wasn't going to be an astronaut. But when I got my hands on a, a paradigm for transformation, like when a, a human being, me, you, uh, anybody, has a moment in time where your perspective shifts so suddenly that the world changes and can never go back. Um, I got really interested in uh, how that can impact organizations. So uh, rather than uh, you know going to the moon uh, you know uh, physically, 
um, you know, uh, metaphorically, how do we get out of our own way so that we see something we've never seen? So whether that's, you know, the birth of a child, the death of a parent, you know, surviving cancer is when transformation usually happens for people. But how do you point that at what you want, you know, where you want, you know, when you want it, be that uh, climate change, systemic racism, uh, or growing your business in some, you know, exponential, you know, inconceivable way. I love it, man. I love it. I love that you've been someone who's always wanted to make a difference in a big way. So Vic, what about you? Tell us your origin story. Sure. Uh, I was born in South America. I came to Canada at six and- um, South America? Yeah, I was born in Guyana, South America. And oh, cool. um, for some reason, I thought you were originally from India. <laughs> I, I'm Indian. I am I know, Indian. but like I didn't even I didn't even imagine that you were from Guyana. And I know a lot of Guyanese from Indian extraction too. So that's, there you go. Yeah, there, there's a few of us floating around. I mean, the Indians are, you know, everywhere. But uh, we came to Canada in the 70s, and then that, that you know, I was the opposite of wanting to make a difference. Uh, when I came to Canada, probably my most significant experience was I don't belong. And, you know, I, I, I suspect, you know, you don't have to be Indian or black or green or pink or a woman or tall or small or fat or skinny. But every kid probably at some point had the experience of not belonging. Yeah. And that's the first time I had to confront that when I was six. And you know, for most of my childhood, I would say I wound up being a coward, more more somebody who wanted to fit in, survive other children, just kind of get through and not be noticed. And um, I didn't, I, I my, you know, my that I didn't know I did that. For me, that was just normal, kind of, you know, shut my mouth, uh, 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 kind of staying in the shadows a little bit. Uh, and then when I started my first business in '95, my first startup, I you know, it failed five years later um, because I had an argument with my my business partner. I have a, I have a master's in molecular biology, genetics. Sorry, I'm all over the place. I before I did this technology, Kevin said that we now offer the world. We work with organizations in this transformational method. Before we did this, I did a lot of other stuff: emotional intelligence, conflict management. I developed and taught the uh, hostage negotiation curriculum for the RCMP, um, Myers-Briggs, True Colors. I did a lot of work around categorizing, labeling, and giving people tips and tools about how to talk to each other, which at that level is, you know, sounds good. It's accurate. It's powerful. I don't know if it's powerful, but it's accurate. Yeah. But what I discovered ultimately is this uh, unwillingness to take a stand and unwillingness to rock the boat. I never quite got what was the lid on my leadership and my ability to make a difference. And is this historical sense of not belonging until I discovered that this was ultimately behind everything for me. I never really was unleashed with people. I was always a little bit leashed. Mm. Um, does that make sense? Totally makes sense, bro. Yeah. So my, although that was my origin story, you could say, I mean, I could tell you a lie. I have a, I have a wife, two kids, so on. But really, I, when you said the word, what's my origin story, I can't give you anything more powerful about my origin than that way I wound up from being a freewheeling kid in South America to someone who was careful and managed strategically and cleverly their relationships so that I wouldn't get outed. That origin was probably the most powerful origin for me. Um, 
And now having broken through that, through our methodology, I really have a purpose now, like Kevin's. I I want it for everybody because I the thousands we've worked with, I haven't met one person that isn't trapped in some historical conversation that they don't know they're trapped in. That's a lid on their leadership. So that that's that's my deal. I, I got to tell you, I really resonate with a lot of what you said, because I'm an immigrant to Canada as well. I came here when I was 14. And then when I was 13, my, my family left Iran to come to Greece. Then from Greece, we came to Canada. Just as I was starting to get used to living life in Greece, we came here. And I felt like I didn't belong in both places. I mean, Greece, we didn't even speak the language. Um, you know, we kind of looked swarthy in Mediterranean like the Greeks did. So that was good. You look very swarthy, Nikki. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I still do. That's true. And but you know, people would start speaking Greek to us in the street, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't speak Greek. I speak English, and that was that was tough. And then we came to Canada, and um, what was what I now see as Canada's strength at the time was terrifying to me to try and trying to understand all the different cultures that were around me. And I went to a school that was the United Nations, you know. Um, Everybody in the neighborhood was from somewhere else. I don't think there were too many native-born Canadians in that school. And it was, it, was, it was wonderful in retrospect, but at the time I was terrified. I didn't know who I belonged with. And, mm. you know, it took me a long time to be able to get past that. And it wasn't until my 30s when I did the same transformational work that you're talking about that I started to see that, yeah, I, um, I too had been... Uh, running a series of strategies to keep myself safe. So good on you, brother. You know, it, but you know, it's funny, Nikki, you and I may be immigrants, but Kev, you should share from being a very uh, uh, swarthy uh, white guy. He's an immigrant too from the States to Canada. He's an immigrant too. <laughs> yeah. We're but, all immigrants what I, here. Well, I wanted Kevin to share. But see, he's he he would look like those kids you and I encountered. But if you listen to Kev, he'll he'll... That's what's so powerful about this work. Kev, Kev, just share your version of that because you wouldn't appear necessarily to have that same concern Nikki and I and every other human on the planet has because you look the same, quote unquote. Yeah, being a being a, a, a white immigrant in a predominantly uh, white culture, um, you know, I've got all the advantages of, of white privilege. And uh, it is being an, an invisible uh, minority, uh, I suppose. There's a lot of uh, you know U.S.-born uh, residents in Canada, but uh, I will listen to people uh, bash Americans, you know, on a pretty regular basis. Oh yeah, that's Canada's uh, favorite know, sport besides hockey, bro. Oh yeah, <laughs> bashing sometimes on the dinner table. Right, my dinner table. Like I've had guests over at my home, and they'll go off on a rant about you know how bad all Americans are. And um, I, I guess I first experienced it because I lived in Japan for three years, and I specifically wanted to do that. You know. Kansas is a very Christian, conservative, you know, white culture. And um, uh, I wanted to really know what is it like to be the the other, right? Um, to be somebody who doesn't look like everybody else. And then when I was in uh, Japan, I met lots of people from, uh, you know, New Zealand and Australia and the UK and Canada. And uh, I would tell them I'm American. They go, oh, I thought you're Canadian. And for the first two years, I go, oh, thank you, because that means I'm really nice, right? And then by about the third year, people started to say that. I'm like, wait a minute, what do you mean? <laughs> is <laughs> like what you mean is that like all Americans are assholes, including, you know, my parents and my friends and, <laughs> you know, presumably, presumably. So there's this like strange, you know, assumption that you're dealing with. And then at some point in time, you're like, well, what are people really saying? 
right? And then sometimes you know what they're really saying because they don't know that they're speaking to somebody you know who's part of that group that they're that they're bashing. Um, and then at the same time, you know, it's not like my experience is is the experience of a person of color, you know, in in Canada. Um, you know, I've got it easy by by any stretch, uh, but it's strange to listen, uh, and you kind of get to be the fly on the wall that nobody knows is there. I got to tell you, I, I love America and I love Americans, so I, I'm not in, in the American bashing business myself, but I, I see it happen around Americans in Canada all the time, and I cringe whenever I, I see it happen. Um, and, and I got to be honest, I'm, I'm not one for the outrage Olympics. I, I think, hey, we all have our story, like Vic said, and we all have uh, things we've gone through. And, and I think what I love about the work that you folks do is that you're really about empowering and uplifting people. And I love, uh, one of my heroes growing up was Martin Luther King. And my favorite line from a Martin Luther King speech was, one day I hope I live in a country where my sons and my daughters will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And that was seared into my soul when I first heard it. And, and I think that's, that, that's the kind of world I want to live in. I want to live in a world where it's interesting that someone looks a little different than me or, or is a little different than me. And it's a good point of conversation. I learned something about them, but it really means nothing to whether, whether there's somebody that's going to be in my life or I'm going to interact with or do business with or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that this whole business of difference, you know, it's, it's so at the forefront of the, of the world right now, but you know, it's, you know what the the thing that Kevin and I deal with is not these individual prejudices uh, per se, but Ken, as you're pointing to Nikki, it's like a condition. There's a condition that that people exist in, like like the water a fish swims in, but nobody's dealing really with the water. Everybody's kind of got this part of the human condition is to blame another and to see oneself as righteously separate from them. As, as as we've been talking about, yes. like a like an unconscious superiority, an unconscious, I'm not like you. And, you know, until not every, our work is not, well, Kevin, and I would say our work is for everybody. But in the timing of a human being's development, our work really isn't for everybody. Because it takes a big person to look in the mirror and say, you know, I have, or I am that which I despise. I am prejudice. I am, you know, I'm part of the problem, but not everybody will have the kind of bigness to, to even want to consider that in their organization, in their leadership, you know, that if, if one doesn't look in the mirror yes. and start to get real about all the covering up and all the survival strategies they wound up creating to make it, you know, whether it's race or color or gender, you know, whoever's, you know, if you're listening on this call, just look in your childhood, there was, there was enough there that you altered who you were. And you may not know the degree to which you altered who you were just so you could make it, just so you could survive. And that who you became is now leading your company. And you don't know that. And you'll read books and you'll look at TED Talks, but none of it will make a fundamental difference 
because that little person and who they change themselves to be is still there in the background, yeah. orchestrating everything in the end. Yeah. <laughs> I saw, I hate to sound so ominous about it. It's actually not that ominous. It's actually quite exciting when you investigate this notion because the promise is you're at the end of it. When you see what's been in the background limiting you, you're so goddamn free to restore yourself to a kind of a freedom that you've never experienced except when you're a kid. Yeah. But, but now you're an adult. So yeah, yeah, what we're talking about is, uh, is context or, or paradigm. And, and that's, you know, what the primary function that we do is we have teams, executives, leaders discover the context they're currently inside of, like what's the mental model, the paradigm, the worldview through which they're, you know, acting or interacting with the world. And just a quick example. So, you know, uh, so my wife is a, is a woman of color. She would describe herself as that. I would describe it self as white. So we have a biracial marriage. We have biracial kids. You know, I call them mixed. And uh, my wife and I, you know, uh, had this conceit, you know, that, that, you know, mixed kids are the best looking, right? So we're looking, you know, really anticipating, you know, how beautiful our children are going to be. Of course, we think they are. But, you know, we're very sensitive to what's the, the demographics, you know, in our neighborhood or our school. And I was once talking to my kids when they were in like uh, third and sixth grade, basically asking them what the diversity at their school was, because um, we live in a pretty white neighborhood. And uh, I was talking to my, you know, then uh, maybe what, uh, you know, eight year old. And I said, so, you know, how many, how many, you know, uh, kids are there who are mixed? And he's like, was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, your mom's Chinese Canadian and I'm, you know, uh, American, uh, you know, so you're half, right? You're a halfie, um, you know, I'm like, how do you describe yourself? And he thought for a second and he goes, human? And I'm like, that's better. <laughs> that's a better answer. <laughs> so unbeknownst to me, I've got this paradigm called halfie. Right. And I think that's a good thing because my wife and I are, you know, you know, we're helping the world integrate. You're right. Uh, much to the chagrin of her father who disowned uh, her for the first two years and didn't speak to me literally for the first uh, three years because I'm white. Okay. Uh, we're dealing with whatever, whatever we're dealing with. And then I go to this, you know, child who was born in 2006 and I ask him how he self identifies and he picks human. That's a distinct paradigm. See, but I don't know. I'm stuck in this paradigm called mixed biracial half. Um, because it's never even occurred to me that there's anything else. And I've got it like it's a good thing. It's neither good nor bad. It's just a it view just of the is. world that impacts and shapes what I say, what I can hear, what I don't hear, what I'm not willing to discuss. He's got a whole new conversation. Well, I'll tell you something. My, uh, my ex-wife, mother of my kids, is a white Canadian girl uh, from Newfoundland, kind of Scots-Irish background. Uh, we met at Landmark, so you know we were Landmark marriage and all that. And, you know, my kids are half Persian, half, uh, half, you know, Newfie, <laughs> I guess. And <laughs> my older boy kind of looks a little bit more like me. He's a little bit swarthy. And my younger boy looks a little bit more like his mom. He's a little bit lighter and fairer. Um, well, I'll tell you, they're both beautiful. They're both great. They're kids. And I don't know, in, in, in my, in my world, Ever since we came to Canada, it really hasn't been a conversation that's been in my head. I got I got a whole lot of other ways in which I, I screw up, but that hasn't been one of them. Thank God. Mm. My big thing, gents, and, and I still struggle with this to this day, is I'm a pushy, domineering SOB. You know what I mean? <laughs> if I don't get my way, I push until I do. And sometimes that's been very damaging to some of my relationships in business. It's been very damaging. I mean, it's probably part of what broke up my marriage. And I know that's a big part of the kind of work that you do inside organizations. Can we get into that for a little bit? 
Yeah, I was I was going to give you a left turn from the whole race conversation to a different dimension. So do you have a question, Nick, here? Or do you want me yeah, to say something so, about that? You know what? If you were going to take us somewhere else, why don't you go ahead and do that? But I'd love to just get a sense of how you guys help folks in organizations and, and, and what your vision is for the world in terms of helping them get past this I'm right, you're wrong paradigm, which at the end of the day is what 99.9% .9 of human problems come from. Um, you know, this thing we're talking at an individual level, right? Like <clears throat> you could say the paradigm, as Kev said, for many, many people is I don't belong or I don't fit. But when you get a bunch of people together in an organization, they they acquire a collective a collective viewpoint, uh, like a shared constraint. We did some work in in Europe, and um, you know we work with mostly mid to large companies, Lululemon, WestJet, um, and you know everything from something communities, Ma and Pa, to to all the way up to governments, the federal government. But I'll give you a, a sense of it from some work we did in Slovakia because it's so poignant. It so illustrates the point. When a bunch of people come together, they become a product of their history. And the more they commingle and the more they talk about what's going on, the more that kind of coalesces into a shared mindset. Now, they don't, they, it becomes so shared, it becomes invisible. It just becomes the way we do things around here. A more common term would be the culture. So we worked in, in Slovakia when, you know, just uh, so there's the Czech Republic and Slovakia. And when the work we did in Slovakia, they invited us over to do some work with them. And I got together with about 40 leaders in the basement of a church. At that point, five years ago, 14 Nazis were elected, neo-Nazis were elected into a 150 person parliament. And the de the destiny, you could say, of Slovakia was teetering on the brink of a cliff. So 40 self-appointed leaders got together. We looked at what we what I asked them to look at as their paradigm, as Kevin said, their default. How did we get here? See, there's always something that got us here. But organizations don't deal with what got them here. They just do a pie-in-the-sky gap analysis they dream up and wordsmith these wonderful thoughts about where they need to go. Say, we're here like a mall map, you are here. Pick the destination and do one more strategic plan to get to this panacea they invented during their retreat. But they never deal with how did they get here? Because how did they get here is doing the planning again in the strategic retreat, but they can't see it. Yeah. So the Slovaks, does that make sense? Yeah, it's it's another it's it, it it's like sitting down and rehashing things rather than actually doing something about them. Yeah, and I'm not ever dealing with what's the mentality that got me here. I'm just going to take another kick at the can with that unexaminedness. Well, the Slovaks were smart enough not to do that, and we looked and we said, "Look, what is the significant history? What? How did you get here?" And then they saw, man, it was so moving. They saw that. After a thousand years of never having their own sovereignty, being ruled by the Austro-Hungarian Empire under the thumb of someone always, and then after World War II, where they, you know, the Nazism pervaded and fascism was the flavor of the, you know, couple decades, and then from 68 to 89, they were ruled by the communists. 
And then 89, they got their 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 independence in what's called a velvet revolution without a shot being fired. Amazing. After all of that, they have this untrusting mentality, this kind of sense of not enoughness, but not enough like as, a, as, as in the national psyche, not enough. You know how kind of Canadians always say we're sorry? Canada has a kind of a sense of not enough. But but from that, they, they in the background of each of their interactions, they think to themselves, I'm different from you. I know at some point you're going to cross me and you're not going to trick me. Now, this distrust sits in the background. So anytime great people, and there are great people in Slovakia that want to make a difference, anytime they try and come together to, to be a, a collaborative, in the end, they can't see, they start their own thing. Because in the end, the one difference that they have between them outweighs the nine tenths that is common. And they can't understand why, but in the background, history has taught them to be untrusting of that one difference. So in Slovakia, they have all these great little organizations, 74,000 charities, 120 political organizations, Nikki. They're a country of five and a half million and they have 120 political organizations. Canada has 32, 30 whatever million, and we have million, 32, yeah. right? So it they can't come together, but they don't know why they can't come together because it's a collective voice, as you said with Martin Luther King. When something is collective, it can hit as one voice. But when you can't do that, you let a small group of fascists come in that can get their act together, and that small group of fascists acts like a bowling ball with all the little pins up the alley that can't get their act together. And until they discovered that, they're always vulnerable because they literally cannot come together. And when they came together, I'll, long story short, they were able to change the entire political landscape as, as 100,000 united people and, and have the, elect, the next elected president be a woman which is unheard of in the Eastern Bloc. And that is connected to our work that we did with them five years ago. So I'll, I'll shut up for now because I can go on about it. We're so proud of it. But anyways, that, give that kind of gets us into the game of organization, but at a very high level. Right on, right on, right on, right on. So talk to me about some of the work you've done at the level of, of some of the companies you've helped. What kind of results you've gotten? I mean, you talk about Lululemon. I mean, Lululemon's a really cool organization. Chip, Chip Wilson, uh, a genius in terms of what he created. And a big part of what he did is he did this transformational work. He did the landmark forum, and he wanted to have that work be done in the DNA of Lululemon. So talk a bit about that. Yeah, they they were an amazing organization. So what? I'll, I'll give you a strange story with Lululemon. Every organization at some level gets trapped in their accomplishment. I did a keynote one time. I got flew out to to Vancouver and I was in a Starbucks in, in Kits. And I met with three executives this is way back before we worked with Lululemon. We're, 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 we're like two dogs sniffing each other's hands. Should we work together? And at that point, they had enough success that after I met with the three executives and explained this transformational work, um, you know, paradigms and what's behind things, the three of them at some point said, yeah, yeah, Vic, um, I think we pretty much have it handled. We do most of that already. You know, we're a yoga company. We meditate. We're pretty aware. 
And, you know, I laid out some pretty insane accomplishments and some outrageous processes <laughs> that for them to say we already do that didn't match, right? So I, I said something to the three executives at the end. I said, I know we're probably never going to see each other again. Would you mind if I was bold with you? And the three of them looked at me and went, okay. And, they, you know, their coats were on. We got up from the stools and they said, uh, I said, look, at the risk of being like, just ridiculously bold, you're arrogant. And it was that pin drop silence. And they looked and I said, look, I guarantee what you're dealing with, given you think you got it handled with me, answer me this question. Is one of the things you deal with internally to Lululemon that each of your departments does their own thing and they don't need anyone else? And when I said that, one of the guy's faces dropped, Brian, and he goes, oh my God, that's exactly the way it is for us. We cannot get people to do what we need them to do. I said, the fish stinks from the head. Your arrogance that you got it handled will not allow you to take the contribution of little old me, much less anyone. Unless you destroy that paradigm, you'll forever be sitting on your high throne and so will everybody else. And you'll never be able to contribute to each other. In that moment, they literally sat back down and we worked, we worked uh, for almost a decade together. That's awesome, man. Well done. That took some yeah. guts. And bro. good on them. Good on them. They're big enough to be able to hear that conversation. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But I mean, for you to have the courage to go say that on your way out the door, that takes something. Well, that was me breaking through, being being a little brown kid, shutting his mouth, living in the shadows. If I didn't do this work that began at Landmark and that, that has continued on, I, I would be, thank, thank you. Thanks for meeting me. Yeah. But the hero in that story is the people who are willing to listen and to and to hear that. So, Nick, we talk a lot about that, you know, if you can have the courage uh, to distinguish, you know, a weakness that you've got that's always been there uh, and a weakness in the sense that it lives in your blind spot and it's running the show invisibly and it's causing, you know, uh, most of the challenges and problems you have. If you can have the strength and the kind of the character, the courage to look and identify that, then you can turn that into a transformational strength. It's not an incremental strength. So I'll give you a couple of uh, you know examples of what our clients have discovered. So our, our process, you know, starts with taking the current reality, and then I describe it as we kind of follow the breadcrumbs uh, trail back into the dark part of the forest. Like, what must your paradigm? or context or world you be right now such that you have these problems that you've got because it's always consistent. Whatever for you was a breakthrough 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, you know, was the basis of your current success and then eventually gets worn out. Now you're stuck and you've quote unquote tried everything. Yeah. So in an economic development situation, we had a group of 20 uh, leaders get together and what they discovered was this shared worldview they had uh, sounded like this. Uh, I'm not going to come to that meeting. It's not safe. My ideas will get shot down and rejected. So I'm going to stay away. I'll wait for everything to fail and I'll come in and do it my way, the right way. That was the group think that these 20 people had that they discovered that they all had in common. And then they wondered why everybody was burnt out, worn out, uh, you know, ready to quit. Nobody wanted to take any more leadership. Uh, no one raising their hands. So there's there's a, a, a wealth of, you know, doing it on my own type of leadership, but zero collaboration. Uh, another $50 million company we work with, they discovered that what was in their blind spot was, uh, you know, a version of do the right thing, uh, you know, be great to people, and it will always come back around inside the personal relationship. 
But then inside of large multinational deals, you know, with uh, oil prices dropping and the Alberta economy shifting away from the carbon economy, um, that wasn't getting the job done anymore. And they were, you know, hemorrhaging cash. So once they got that identified and they started sharing that with their partners, that worldview and the impact of the worldview, they dropped seven figures to their bottom line, you know, across a couple of weeks and two or three conversations. So we've had uh, somebody else resolve a two-year union dispute and save $100,000 in 20 minutes, you know, literally. 20 minutes. Bro, that's unbelievable. That's like super cool. Yeah, the background paradigm was it's personal. And until they could discover it's personal and then share with their quote-unquote opponent it's personal, they couldn't break out of the you, you, me, win, lose paradigm. So the ability to produce, you know, monetary, strategic, you know, brand, uh, you know, relationship results is is very non-linear when you start to get your hands on the background context and then you share that with people and then you can literally shift the worldview together. But you can't do it unless you figure out what the current one is. Wow, man, that's pretty darn brilliant. Those kind of results are absolutely transformational. Love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. So, gentlemen, um, I'm loving our conversation. We're definitely going to have to have you gentlemen come back on the show. But let us proceed. Because we like to end off each and every show by asking you, as our guest experts, to give what I call your top three expert action steps. These are your best pieces of advice that you recommend our listener take on to improve their lives. So what do you say? And Vic, why don't you go first? Sure. Um, I think one of the first actions is to make a list of, of where you're unsatisfied. So the first thing is to make a list of where you're unsatisfied or the results you're causing in your business or your company just is not a match for your vision. So number one is to make a list where you're to more, more bluntly where it's not working. Okay. Number two, there's which is a plot twist. Okay. Here's the plot twist for the second action. What aren't you saying? Ask yourself the question, what aren't you saying? What are you not saying in that area? And, and to whom are you not saying it? And this is, Nikki, how many, is this mostly no, a Canadian? No, it's all over the world. It's all over the world. But a plurality of our listeners are in the States. Canada is the second biggest. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Well, this is, I was going to say, particularly for the Canadians, but this is worldwide. This is a worldwide kind of um, condition humans are in. But number two, ask yourself the question, who you're, what are you not saying, particularly valuable to Canadians, but also worldwide, and to whom are you not saying it, okay? And so when you ask yourself that question, also, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sneak another one in there. Ask yourself, what is the cost of not saying that? Okay, so one, make a list. Two, ask yourself the question, what am I not saying to who and what's the cost? of not saying it. Three, you've got to cross over this childlike fear and now say what you're not saying to who you are not saying to. Number three, 
you got to say what you're not saying and you got to put yourself at risk because if you don't take this new action, it's predictable what'll happen, more of the same. So one, make a list, two, ask those questions. What am I not saying to who am I not saying it to and what's the cost? Three, go for it with that person and let the chips fall. You'll only get better and better at it as you become bolder and bolder. I like it. These are great. Fantastic. Okay, Kevin, you got a high bar now. What are yours? Yeah, it's a high bar. Well, it's going to be shocking to you, Nikki Yard, and they were a company's unstoppable conversation. So it has a lot to do with uh, language <laughs> and being in communication with people, right? So, you know, leaders are dealing with so much right now. We were dealing with, you know, enough before COVID hit and we've got a, you know, worldwide crisis. So, you know, one of the things is to really just be in communication. And, and I'm talking about, you know, not only the quality of your communication, but the volume and frequency of your communication to your team, your clients, your stakeholders. And people don't realize that how transactional they are in our conversations. You know, I say one thing to a staff, I say, get this done. I assume they know what I mean. And I just kind of move on, right? And then I check back in a week, you know, when the deadline is. Or I've got a client and they tell me what they're dealing with. You know, uh, we work out a solution and, you know, I wait to check back in until our you know, next weekly call. It's really not enough. We need a, a lot of check-in time with people. We need to continually find out what's happening with them, what's changed. So if you got something big where you're making a transformational or strategic shift, try on that you might need to be in communication 10 times as frequently right text updates checking with people how's it going what's new what's changed you know what are you thinking right now so just the volume of communication and a transformational change needs to be uh massive one of the other things i would say is you know in regard to you know we talk about listening we got two years one mouth you know all those types of things but people are, are incredibly bad listeners if you want to test this observe your world for the next day and when a, another human being asks somebody uh, a question see how often that other person answers the actual question almost never <laughs> does anybody answer the actual question so you need to spend a lot of time what i would call you know getting it so you need to get like what is it that they're saying you know what does that mean to them what are they thinking how did they come to that what values does that represent? You know, what concerns do they have? What's, um, you know, what fears do they have? You know, what's in the background of that? So you need to get the background conversation from people, not just the foreground conversation. And that requires, you know, listening for listening sake, not listening inside of your agenda. And then the third thing I would say is, uh, you know, take a look at how big of a gap that you're creating so almost all of what we do is some version of intentional disruption and what is getting you know intentionally disrupted is the status quo we don't do incremental stuff so the size of the of the gap between the the current trajectory of how it's probably going to go in your business and the big future you're creating if that's a small gap you don't need transformation you just need really good management if it's a really big gap you know you reference martin luther king right or somebody like that that's a that's a worldwide societal gap but if you're not going after something that scares you something that uh, would scare other people or something that people would be skeptical of the gap probably isn't big enough so you know when, when we do gap analysis we don't mean it the way that you know you would do a SWOT or something like that we mean is it a future big enough that it's frightening to you without being a complete pipe dream that's good too i gotta say very very impressive gentlemen very very impressive these are good i took detailed notes on them 
I'm going to actually implement these into my own life. You know, I think I can do better on all six. So thank you. Two for the price of one. Okay. So, so Kevin, um, <laughs> how do people get a hold of you? What kind, what, what kind of person would benefit from having a conversation with you and how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, it's great. So it's a, it's any uh, you know organizational uh, business institutional leader you know who is up to something big. Uh, they're bold, courageous, and they're willing to be public about it. And they want to create a distinct uh, shift that goes beyond you know three percent, eight percent growth. And uh, would really encourage people to reach out to us uh, through our website. It's www.unstoppableconversations.com with an S on the end. And uh, you can book a call uh, with either Vic or I. And um, we would love if you're a not-for-profit leader, uh, uh, institutional NGO, government leader, any levels, and all sizes of corporations, happy to get on the phone with you and explore. And uh, if it's not a fit, you know, we will let you know. Um, and we'll, you know, let you know where a more traditional management consultant exists for that. But if you're after something big and bold, let's chat. Love it. Okay, we're going to make sure we put that in the show notes, unstoppableconversations.com. And there's some place they can go there to book a call. Awesome. So Vic, what about you? What do you want to talk about? What do you want to tell the people to put their attention and focus on? Yes, when you asked the question, I was bit my tongue. Who's this for? My, my automatic answer was anybody who's alive. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I think... What would be more useful is uh, if people want to know more or really uh, have a chance to experience the kind of transformational work we do, uh, we we run a our only public program. Well, I know we have two now, but the the public program we run at least about three times a year is called Being a Leader, and Being a Leader you know rolls over every four months. We have an intake every every three three times a year. So on the website, unstoppableconversations.com, you know, under courses, there'll be a drop down for being a leader. And it is our flagship program. People from around the world participate. It's, it's an amazing program just from that standpoint alone to discover that all leaders around the world have a shared, shared limits and a, quite, quite honestly, a shared vision for what's possible. So they could go to that. I would offer them that as a, as a place to really get started with us to discover this kind of work. It's yeah. a deep dive, Nikki, too. You will literally, you know, you know, discover the story that you created about yourself. You think you are and you aren't, and we'll open up things that you never even, uh, you know, imagined. Uh, one of our graduates is, is literally taking on systemic racism in policing across Canada at a national level as the national chief of the of the Denny Nation. And he would credit this course, you know, directly uh, for that. So, um, you know, people come in and uh, they leave with a completely different view of who they are, who the world is, what their business is, is capable of. So it's not for the faint of heart and we guarantee transformational results in it. You know, the, the difference, Nikki, is most courses are about knowing something, but rarely can somebody translate all their knowledge into being what they know. And in our course, people come out with the capacity to be something, not try and remember it in the heat of the moment. So it's it's a completely distinct phenomena. And if somebody's got the appetite, this is what this is for them. Awesome. Okay. So listener, Vic and Kevin are the real deal. Okay. What they have makes a difference. The type of work they have 
is basically taking transformational work of the type that's available at an organization like Landmark Worldwide and, and, and supercharging it with rocket fuel within an organizational or institutional setting. So if you work at a company and that company is having some issues, you want to get in touch with these guys. And if you're a leader in an organization and you're thinking of doing something for yourself to take your own leadership to a new level, if you're not being the leader that you want to be, if that's an itch you want to scratch, definitely go to Unstoppable Conversations and either book a call with one of these gentlemen or go find out about, you know, uh, being a leader and do the Being a Leader course. And listener, do me a favor. If you enjoyed this conversation, if you got something valuable from it, would you go ahead and share it with someone else? We don't charge for this podcast. We don't even have a sponsor for this podcast. All we ask for you as a listener is if you're getting value from this, share it with some more people. That's how we grow this movement to create freedom, free expression, and free enterprise, and to help entrepreneurs like you live life as the best version of yourself, rather than wondering at the end of your life, I should have done better. I could have done better. Why didn't I? So don't be that man. Don't be that woman. Be the person who takes advantage of the greatness offered to you here by paying it forward. When you step out of just what's good for you and you decide to make a difference for someone else, that's when the juice of life becomes truly available to you. So make sure that you do that and go to our website, eastercoleacademy.com. Take advantage of all the wonderful resources we offer you there to help you become better and stronger inside your business and make sure you go to the show notes either on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and you go to unstoppableconversations.com and you take advantage of all the amazing resources that Vic and Kevin have made available for you. Kevin, Vic, gentlemen, so awesome to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Nikki. Yeah, thank you, Nikki. You're, it's great to be with a kindred spirit. So thank you. Yeah, you bet, man. I feel the same way. You bet. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guests, Vic and Kevin, and their phenomenal company, Unstoppable Conversations, go to unstoppableconversations.com or go to the show notes at the website or on Spotify or iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen to this show. And to take advantage of all the incredible resources we offer at East Circle Academy, go to eastcircleacademy.com and fiddle around with the website and download some of those resources. Let's make you the best version of you sooner rather than later. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.